James chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to talk today about perspective. Everybody say perspective. If you look at the headlines, uh, or not headlines, headings uh, throughout this, I guess we could call them headlines. This is major news. Uh, it says the perspective of the rich and the poor. It talks about perspective of faith and, and works. Uh, and God, James gives us some wonderful insights here. James chapter 1 and verse 1. Are you there? All right. This is what it says. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light, it's life, it's instruction, it's correction. And Lord, I ask that today your word would accomplish all you desire it to in each and every one of our lives. I pray, Lord, for a great anointing to be released even right now. Church, would you help me pray? Let's pray for a great anointing to be poured out in this place right now. Lord, I just ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would anoint every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, anoint every listener who's in this room who may be joining online. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking to us today. Jesus, I pray that even as you were anointed to preach the gospel, I pray that an anointing would rest upon me, that I would preach under the unction, the anointing of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Lord, I pray give us liberty today in receiving your word. I ask your blessing on it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody say... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The book of James. Oh, man, this is powerful. I don't think I've ever preached through the book of James before. Um, I've preached through Ephesians and Galatians. I've preached the entire gospel of Mark and John over the years. I've preached every book, uh, every verse in Revelation. Hallelujah. But uh, this is the first time I've dove into James. And as I was reading this, over the last number of months, it has just been impacted me. I've, I've begun now to read the book of James once a day. And I would encourage you, uh, this is just, I'm going to throw it out there for those who may be uh, vigilant in your word study. Uh, begin to read this book. Did you know Dr. Morocco has memorized the book of James? It's amazing. In fact, one thing that he does is he's got a Timothy mentoring course, and one of the things that he asks is you have one of two options to graduate his Timothy mentoring class. You can choose to either memorize the book of James or the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's long. And so uh, you can read it every day. Maybe we can all try and memorize it together. How about that? We're going to read the book of James, and we'll begin to work through this, but... What James begins with is he begins to talk about perspective. Everybody say perspective. You understand changing perspective can, can radically change the way you view things or see things. Uh, I did a video this last week on 
um, I, I actually recorded while I was in Israel, I was standing at Golgotha, the place of the skull, where they believed Jesus was crucified. And what's interesting is if you go into like the viewing platform, they've got glass and you can see the area and just about a hundred yards away is the tomb where they believe Jesus was buried and then resurrected. And what's wild is the reason they call it Golgotha or the place of the skull is because when you look at it from a certain angle, you can see what looks like two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. It looks like a skull in the side of the mountain. And this is the place that they would take individuals to crucify them, criminals who were condemned to die. Now, from the viewing platform on the side, you can't see the skull. You can vaguely see some indentions, but when you look from the right perspective, you can see the skull. Everybody say perspective. We're going to deal with perspective today. I grew up, I don't know if you had a parent like this, but uh, my dad, my stepdad, he's dad to me, my dad would always have this word character. And anytime we were doing something difficult that I did not want to do, he would always tell me it builds character. Has anybody ever heard that line? Walking to school in the snow is good for you. It builds character. You're going to help me build this chicken coop. I don't want to build the chicken coop. You're going to help me. It builds character. You smash your finger with a hammer trying to build the chicken. That's okay. You're building character. I don't want to eat these vegetables, Dad. It makes me sick to my stomach. That's fine. Diarrhea builds character. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I, I don't know if that's true or not, but. I despise that in that moment, but I guess today the reason I have so much character is because my dad made me work. He made me do stuff that I didn't necessarily want to do. So what do I do now that I have a different perspective? I see the value in what he made me do. Now I make my kids help me with stuff. Now I know, Gabriel, you are going to take out, I don't care if it's raining, you're going to take out the garbage. It's building character. I, Right? It's perspective. Everybody say perspective. Sometimes we need to change our perspective. And James is very interesting because he begins. Now, uh, this is, I've actually, instead of points, I have questions. I have three questions for you today. The first question I want you to ask yourself is, what is your perspective of self? What is your perspective of self? How do you view yourself? You'll notice in verse 1 of James chapter 1, he calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant. Everyone say bondservant. Now, this is very interesting because do you know who James is? There's a there's a number of James that are mentioned throughout the Scripture. In fact, we know that two of the 12 disciples were both named James. Jesus took it to calling them James the Great and James the Lesser. Uh, I feel sorry for James the Lesser, but uh, uh, essentially there's two theories. Either that literally meant like the Chosen has depicted that one was taller than the other. Uh, that may be true. It may be that one was older than the other. It's not talking about you're great and you're not as great. Uh, uh, it's just you're big, you're small, James the Great, James the Lesser. Now, 
historians have pretty accurately depicted what James, these two James, uh, went on to do. And we know they were not the writers of the book of James. So who was? There's one other James that's named in Acts chapter 12, but uh, he's named as a martyr, one who died under Herod. And so that only leaves one James, and that is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Did you know Mary went on to have other kids uh, after, after Jesus? Uh, uh, she had other children, James, who wrote the book of James, as well as Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. And this is amazing. We see that there was a time where the Pharisees were talking about Jesus and, uh, and questioning his authority. We know who he is. We know who his family is. We know Joseph the carpenter. And are not his brothers James and Jude here with us? So we see that they were around. They knew who they were. But what's interesting, now this is wild. James and Jude did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Messiah until after Jesus had died and later was resurrected. But what ends up happening is they do come to faith, and we see them mentioned over, over the uh, book of Acts and Galatians on a number of occasions. In fact, when they gathered together all of the apostles really to talk about what do we as the church believe. James was a part of that council that came together. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul calls James one of the pillars of the church along with Peter and John, the beloved. So James eventually became one of the heads of the entire church, and that's a big deal. So, so think about his resume. James is an apostle. James is a sibling to Jesus. James is a pillar of the early church. James is a counselor, a leader in forming the church. But what's interesting is his perspective of self. What did he call himself in James 1 verse 1? Not James the apostle. Not James the brother of Jesus. Not James the, the, the head of the Jerusalem church. No, he calls himself a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this tells me, I want you to hear me on this. There is no higher calling for you and for me than to be a servant of the Most High God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to check our perspective. Now, I don't have a problem with titles. Paul called himself an apostle. John called himself the beloved. I don't have a problem with that. But what do you view at the top of that list? Because I would suggest to you this is a different perspective. Some of us get irritated when we are asked to serve. Do something. Well, the Bible says that we're to do all things as unto the Lord. So I want you to understand something. When, when we ask you to come at 6 o'clock in the morning and to help us set up equipment and, and to rearrange chairs, and you're, you're not working for Pastor Jacob. You're not working for Dr. Morocco. You're not even working for the people who are going to come and receive, even though all of those things in part are true. We need to have at the very front of our mind, I'm doing this for the Lord. I get to serve God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're scrubbing toilets and nobody even sees it, 
Nobody announces, I saw sister so-and-so cleaning the bathroom before service. Come on, let's all give her a hand. When, when that doesn't happen, guess what? God sees it. The Lord knows, and he will reward you, the Bible says. What is your perspective on serving? In fact, I remember on one occasion, my wife, she worked at a country club in Dallas. This was a nice club. It's a lot of the Dallas Cowboys were a part of that. Uh, I mean, she got to see celebrities there, a number of them I could name, and you would know. But one of the most in, intense moments was when all of this secret service came in, and uh, all these guys with earpieces and everything, and we uh, came to find out that President George Bush was coming to have lunch at the country club. He was a member there. And so they go through, and they had all had background checks and everything, and they wanted to choose somebody who would be able to serve the president effectively, and they chose my wife. Now, I'm still proud of this, man. I just think that's the coolest thing. She got to serve George Bush, uh, got to give him his, what did he have? He had a non-alcoholic beer and enchiladas. And uh, that's what he ordered every time that he came in. And so my, my wife got to serve the president. Isn't that cool? On more than one occasion. Now, I, I just think about this, man. It, it, it's a person of honor. And it was an honor to be chosen amongst all of the other servers, all of the other employees, she was chosen to serve and to wait on President Bush. Of how much more value is it that you and I get to serve God? You get to serve Creator God. Yeah, that's right. These, these who are in the upper campus right now, serving children, taking care of your babies right now. I'm telling you, those who are going to stay afterwards and tear all of this down, you understand, we have the privilege and the honor of serving God. Oh, that's a high and holy call, friend. Is that the way you look at it? I want to encourage you, change your perspective. If you don't view serving as an honor, change your perspective. Tell your neighbor, change your perspective. Hallelujah. Now, verse 1 continues. It says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, what in the world is that talking about? This book was written just a few years after Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, what would happen that would scatter the children of Israel abroad? Well, you can begin to see in Acts chapter 6, something interesting happens. Uh, Peter and the other apostles uh, begin to be burdened by the ministry. The church was growing rapidly. And they were finding, listen, there's some widows who were neglected. They, they, they needed food delivered to their house, and, uh, and we skipped some people. And so they're concerned about this, and so this is what Peter says. This is Acts chapter 6. He stands up and he says, you know what, this is what I want to do. Why don't you, from amongst yourself, nominate some individuals who can serve these widows? And that's what they do. They find people of good reputation, people of wisdom, people full of the Spirit who can go and deliver meals to widows. That's powerful. They're serving the Lord. So... Amongst that, the first one that's named in Acts 6 who was chosen was a man of God by the name of Stephen. You ever heard of Stephen? Stephen was chosen to serve. 
to go make house visitations and to deliver a platter of cookies. I don't know what they I don't know what they gave. But understand, they didn't call him to apostleship. They didn't call him to miracle ministry. Stephen, we want you to, to preach. I want you to sing a song special next Sunday. No. They said, we have some widows, and I need you to deliver a meal. Serving. And the very first thing that happens, you can read this. It's amazing. The Bible says that through Stephen, many signs, wonders, and miracles were performed. You guys want to know what your entry way, your entry point to the supernatural is? Start serving. Start being a blessing. I, I don't know if he walked into one of these widows' homes and maybe she had a, a fever and he prayed for her and, and she got healed. I don't know what those miracles worked, but the Bible says that there were many signs, wonders, and miracles that were performed. It's amazing. The problem is... There was some jealousy with some other church folk. You understand, we're not the first generation to deal with church hurt, jealousy, accusation. And they tried to bring an accusation against him, but Stephen was walking a righteous life. They couldn't do anything, so the church leaders conspired. You know what? Let's make up some stuff and let's bring false accusations that he's blaspheming and he's threatening to destroy the temple. And that's exactly what they do. They end up bringing Stephen in. He stands on trial, and ultimately what happens is Stephen preaches one of the most incredible sermons you'll read in the Bible. And he comes to the, to the end of this thing, and he calls them out on their sin. You and your fathers, you resisted the Holy Spirit. You have killed prophets before, and you're still acting the same way today. They were so enraged that they grabbed Stephen. They drag him outside of the city, and they begin to hurl stones at him. As they're hurling stones at him, he looks up, and he sees, the Bible says, the glory of God and Jesus our Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he says something incredible. He says, Father, receive me into your kingdom. And do not hold these guilty for what they're doing today. He forgives them in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their false accusation, in the midst of their murder. He offers forgiveness. He dies, the first martyr. And what ends up happening, what would you do if somebody from this congregation went through the same thing that, that Stephen went through. In the next chapter, we see, the, we see Saul, who will eventually become the Apostle Paul, going around terrorizing the church, persecuting many. In fact, he was the one who oversaw the martyrdom of Stephen. The Bible says they came and they threw their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is persecuting the church. And then it goes on in chapter 8 talking about how Herod arrested Peter and killed another James, one of the other apostles. All of this persecution begins to blow up in the New Testament church. And what ends up happening is the church is scattered abroad. 
This is the very time frame in which James writes this letter. And think about his words. He's writing to a people. You just imagine if our church just explodes because there's so much persecution that's going that we all decide, you know what, Jesus said we're all supposed to go to the nations. We might as well just go because we can't stay here much longer. And James writes a letter to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And this is what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Everything that we've gone through in this last season, what a joy. Is that your perspective? I, I can't even imagine. Stephen was my friend. I mean, this is a guy they worship next to, that they were serving tables next to, that they were working alongside. Dead. And James says, count it a joy. Maybe it's some of the family and friends that he was writing to. Herod killed my cousin. Count it all joy. When you suffer various trials. Can you imagine? This leads me to my second question. What is your perspective on trials? Now, I'm not talking about fake trials. You understand. I feel like the heaviness in the room. That means you guys are getting it. That's good. I'm not talking about you go to Starbucks and they don't have your pumpkin spice flavoring. That's not a trial, friend. Young people, it's not a trial when your iPad dies and you have to go on a car ride without a video game. It's not a trial when somebody forgets your name at church. I've, I've introduced myself to them three times. How dare they? Why is God testing me this way? It's not a trial. These guys, these guys know trials. These guys endured trials. In fact, even worse, you know what's not a trial? When you make bad decisions... And now you're receiving the fruit of those bad decisions. I read a proverb. You just write this down. This isn't in your notes. I did upload notes to the Bible app, but this isn't one of them. I just added this this morning. Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at God. You ever see that? Someone, God, why are you doing this to me? And, bro, you have lived a life of terrible decisions, and now you're angry at God? That's not God. All right, that's a different message. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about real trials. I'm not talking about you sinned, you made a terrible decision, and now you're paying for it. No. I'm talking about have you ever been in a place where you've done everything right? You've honored people. You're serving. Maybe your boss, I, I heard this testimony on Maui where a boss came to somebody and said, I need you to fudge these numbers a little bit, and everybody in their office was doing exactly that. But they knew. That's going to ask, that's it. you're asking me to lie, and I cannot work this job with integrity and lie. So they chose instead to be fired because they would not lie on their job. Now you think about that. Many of us would say, God, what's going on? I, would, I dealt in integrity. How dare I lose my job? What's going on, God? Check your perspective, church. Check your perspective. James is saying to people who have lost loved ones, people who have been displaced from their homes, count it all joy. When you've done everything right, I've been loving to this person and all they can do is badmouth me and tell lies about me. Count it all joy. 
When you lose your job because you've done something for the Lord and you're dealing in integrity, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. One of the stories, and I'm not going to read this. I, I want to get on to the third one here. But it's an interesting account in Acts chapter 5. The apostles are seeing tremendous miracles. And the Sadducees, again, were so jealous. They arrested them. They spent time in jail. An angel lets them out of prison. And they go straight back into the synagogue to preach once again. They're arrested again by church leaders. They were threatened. They were flogged. That means they were whipped. And then the Bible says they were thrown out of the courtroom. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, it says the apostles left the high council rejoicing. Everyone say rejoicing. Why? Because God had counted them worthy to suffer shame for his name perspective. How would you respond if you get arrested, if you get whipped because you are working miracle ministry? They rejoiced. Why? Because God counted me worthy. That's perspective. Lord, you Trust me enough to endure hardship. You really think that I'm mature enough. You trust me enough to go through this with integrity. That's perspective, church. It's not that God's angry at you. It's not that you've disappointed him or you've gone out of his will. But there are moments where God says, they can handle it. They're strong enough. They can endure it church, if I could tell you, even, even the last two years, some of the weights and some of the burdens that my wife have felt, I, I'm telling you, there's moments I feel it in my physical body. There's moments where we don't sleep at night. We just wake up and we just pray one for another because of the weight and the burden. And there's moments that we could get angry. God, I thought this was going to be easy. I thought you said your yoke was easy. What in the world is going on? But we remind ourselves. It's a privilege that God has trusted us with this. It's a joy. God, you think enough of me. I'm just a drug addict saved by grace. But you think enough of me that you would trust me with this? What is your perspective on trials, church? Matthew 5, 11, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, next time someone speaks evil against you. Next time somebody lies about you. When you've done nothing but right and tried to honor God. When you are reviled. When you are persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? You've just achieved prophet status, friend. They're treating you just like they did the prophets of old. 
Hallelujah. And God considers you worthy. Oh, my. I, I know this is kind of intense, but I, I, I find that when I preach messages like this, people end up walking away encouraged. Pastor, aren't you tell us, supposed to tell us we're never going to suffer, we're never going to endure? Here's the deal. I'm not going to lie to you, church. That's why I like expository sermons, because it makes me preach verses like this. It's in the Bible. And the fact of the matter is, we will all endure trials. There will be moments you're doing right, being a blessing, loving God and loving people, and still, somebody's not going to like you. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Be exceedingly glad. Jesus called it a blessing. Any of you going through trials right now? You're so blessed. Hallelujah. You are so blessed. Tell your neighbor, you're blessed. <laughs> now, here's the last one. Here's the last one. It says, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then it says, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The third question I have for you is, what is your perspective on tests? What's your perspective on tests? We were at Thanksgiving dinner, and we had a couple of our YWAM interns who were with us because uh, they didn't go home for uh, family for Thanksgiving, and so, uh, but they were concerned because they had to leave because they had to submit a test before the day was done. Now, I've learned this about tests. Uh, uh, there are tests. How many of you have taken a test that you weren't ready for? I think all of us at one time or another. How many of you have taken a test that you were ready for? It's very different when you walk into the classroom knowing I studied, I prepared, and I am ready for this test. Well, did you know that God allows us to be tested as well? In the very same way, you will either pass that test or you will fail the test. And I would encourage you, we need to learn to pass tests or God is in the habit of retesting us. He will retest you. He will send that person who is an irritation in your life until you learn to be patient with that person. Because if you're rude, if you're a jerk, if you chase them off, guess what? He's got another obnoxious person he's going to send right your way. How do you View tests. What's your perspective on tests? How, when we are experiencing moments of testing, we need to take a moment and consider, my children are testing me right now. Am I going to pass the test? I have an unexpected expense that came into my life. This is a test of my faith. At a moment like this this last week, I had a car breakdown. And I'm looking forward and I'm like, I want to have a good Christmas. I want to do this. But now I've got a car repair that I've got before me. And my wife, I love my wife. She says, Jake, have we ever gone without? Just watch how the Lord will provide. You know, this is a moment where I was about to fail a test. Maybe I did fail the test. I don't know. But my wife passed the test. 
There's moments where we will all have these testings. And, and, and are we going to give in to fear? Are we going to complain? Are we going to re- respond in anger? Or are we going to say, God, this is a moment for you to show up. Lord, I trust you in this. What is your perspective on tests? I'm proud of my wife. She has been training for a triathlon. And she's amazing. I'll just tell you, she's gone now where she can swim over a mile without stopping. I mean, some of you guys do that. I know she mentioned some people that, that, that swim with her, and that's awesome. Uh, I can't imagine. I could float there with a snorkel. That's my comfort zone. She'll swim a mile, 1.2, and come back. It's amazing. Without even floaties. It's incredible. She's training for this. She's begun riding her bike. Um, and she, I mean, 10 miles an hour, she's going 10 miles an hour. How far did you run? Or how far did you bike the other day? 10 miles. I mean, you guys, I'm like, that's a long way for me. I went with her one time. I went, I went, what, five miles. Yeah, I did five miles, and I was about dead at the end of it. Uh, I've been lifting weights. I don't do cardio, but I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up. Why, why would, why would she do this? She had a moment where she was, Swimming this last week with some, I mean, people who do Ironman, people that are professionals in this kind of thing, and they had the remark, they turned to her and says, you're getting a lot faster. You're cutting through this water so much better now. Why? Every time she gets up at 5 in the morning, it's a test, you understand. But when she does it, she's getting better. She's getting faster. She's getting stronger. Why? Because she's pushing herself. She's passing the test, and it's producing something in her. This is very important for us to write. God's not just testing us just to, you know, I don't know, lord over us, just to uh, give you a hard time. No, he's producing something in you. Bring up verse 4 again. Look at what verse 4 says here. It says, let It says, when we are facing various tests, go back to verse 3. When we face various tests, it says it produces patience. And then the next verse says, let patience have its perfect work, or literally its perfecting work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. That's what God is moving you towards, church. Not that you're broken, that you're fractured. I understand. We all come to Jesus as broken vessels. But God tests us. And when we pass the test, it's perfecting us to the point where we're whole, where we're complete, where we've been restored, where we lack nothing. Worship team, would you come? We're going to close. I would encourage you. To have some conversations with some people who have walked with the Lord for some time. Because what you'll find, I mean, find somebody that you see as mature in the Lord. Because what's amazing is you go ask them their stories. It hasn't just been one glory to another, one blessing to another, and now, boy, I just walk in this perpetual open heaven. No, you talk to them. And you're going to find, my faith was tested, but I passed the test. 
and my faith grew. You'll find that I was tested here and my integrity was strengthened. I grew through this. My marriage was tested, but today my marriage is strong because we passed the test. Mental health, to take care of your body. I learned to love people. Shared last week about some of the trials I went through with my dad in the hospital, but how over that period of time, we saw some of the most incredible miracles. You want to know why? I will unashamedly and with authority call for healing every single Sunday. It's because I went through a test and I saw how faithful God was. You want to know why you can hear a Dr. Morocco stand up and talk about the miracle of finances and how faithful God is? It's because he has gone through tests over and over again. And yet we've never shut down a church. We've never had staff unpaid. He's watched God be faithful, and so he he has faith. It produced something in him. What is your perspective? What's your perspective of self and of serving? What's your perspective on these times of trials, persecution, hardship? What is your perspective in these moments where you're tested? Church, God God is perfecting you. God is growing you. And this is the means by which he will do it. I want you to stand all across this room. So brothers and sisters, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Jesus. I know all across this room there are individuals that are going through tests. They're going through trials. And God, I believe with all my heart that as you are faithful over this early church, you will be faithful in our lives. Lord, I ask you to help us to change our perspective, oh Lord. Open our eyes to see who you are and what you're doing, O oh Lord. Almighty God, you called it a blessing when we suffer persecution. The disciples rejoiced and were exceedingly glad when you counted them worthy to endure persecution. God, change our perspective. Change our perspective. It's not a curse. It's not punishment. It's a blessing, you said. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Oh, mighty God. I'm reminded of a moment in the Old Testament where Elisha was facing an army that was about to wipe them out. 
There was a man of God who's not named in Scripture, but he's having a freak-out moment. We're about to die. This is all over. And Elisha prays, God, open his eyes. Open his eyes. He prays it twice. Open his eyes. And in that moment, the man of God opens his eyes and he sees angel armies. He sees the power of God that's all around them. He thought it was just him and a prophet hanging out on their own. They're about to die. But then he sees, no, there's more that are fighting for us than those who are fighting against us. And my prayer for you today, God, open our eyes. Come on, lift your hands right now. Lord, open our eyes that we may see what is going on in the heavens, that there are more fighting for us than there are fighting against us, that the blessing of the Lord is greater than any curse of the enemy in Jesus' name. Lord, open our eyes to see, Lord, what tests are producing in our lives. You're strengthening our faith. You're strengthening our resolve. You're strengthening our, our, our belief, Almighty God, in you. Lord, open our eyes to see what you're doing, oh Lord, almighty God. Come on, can we just worship for a moment?